Good morning. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to add my welcome to you to Faith Covenant Church on this Labor Day weekend. Welcome and thanks for joining us here on campus as well as from home and around the country. We are glad to be able to worship together. Isn't it good news? That on a Labor Day weekend where we celebrate the ability that God has given us to, to give something back, to provide work that brings meaning and value to the world around us, we can be reminded that that's one of the core characteristics of God. That God is always working on your behalf and on my behalf. And this morning as we take time to look into his word, I want to invite you to consider that just possibility, possibly on this Labor Day weekend, God might be wanting to do a work in you as well. As you hear the vision of his heart for you, the life that he's invited us to live. We are wrapping up our series called Amaze this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 127. And I believe that God wants to amaze you with who he is. Are you ready to be amazed this morning? I want to invite you to pray with me one more time before we jump into God's word, and then we will jump into Psalm 127 together. Holy God, we do thank you that you are not only a God who speaks, but you are a God who works. And we open our hearts and our minds and our lives to you this morning, and we invite you through your spirit to do your work in us. Speak to us those words that we need to hear. Change our hearts to soften them up so that we can hear your word clearly and give us the courage and the strength to respond, to say yes to your word, to your son, Jesus, in our lives again today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we wrap up our series called Amaze, we are going through some of our favorite psalms this summer. Uh, the psalms are often raw and real, written by real people who worship a real God and, and, and they live a real life together. They are, they are psalms of worship. They are to guide the worship of God's people. And the Israelites would sing them and, and rehearse them when they would come together like we're doing this morning as the people of God. And, and they were designed to not only reveal who God is to his people, but, but to be kind of a mirror to our own souls so that we can get a glimpse of who we are as we examine our lives in relationship to this God who not only created us and loves us, but in many ways knows us more deeply and better than we even know ourselves. God reveals himself to us in his word, and through his word, his spirit uh, inspires us to understand how that word is a word to you and to me. And I want to suggest for us this morning that as we look at Psalm 127, it reminds us that as we look for meaning and value in life, we need to stay simply focused on two really important things and that our focus should be on God and on others. Now, we've heard that before as Christians. We often talk about Jesus' command, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And a second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. It's the core truths of the Christian life, and we're going to see them again right here in Psalm 127, hundreds of years before Jesus even arrived on the scene. 
But so many times we, we can understand that, that, that propositionally, right, our life is lived in a vertical relationship with God, and that life is lived out in a horizontal relationship with one another. But we miss, how does that actually play itself out in practical ways in our own lives? And I think what, what the psalmist, which our, our psalmist for today is actually David's son Solomon, who became king of Israel and wrote much of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, is going to help us to see is that that vertical and that horizontal relationship with God plays itself out in our daily life experiences that bring meaning and value to all of life in this world. It's not just an hour on Sunday morning where we experience our relationship with God and we have the joy of one another, but it is in our marriages. It's in our uh, relationships with our kids. It's in our extended families as aunts and uncles and cousins. It's with our friendships. It's with our coworkers. It's as we go to the grocery store and we sit in restaurants and we go to the coffee shop. We have daily opportunities to experience the reality of what life and relationship with God looks like that the Bible invites us to experience every day. So with that mindset, I invite you to reflect on the words of Psalm 127. We're going to read the whole thing up front here, and then we'll kind of work through the the two sections that it's broken up into. It starts with a song of ascents, which which simply means there are a number of psalms here uh, where the people would sing them, scholars believe, on their way to the temple. Uh, pilgrimage was, a, was an important part of, of Hebrew culture, and they would journey together to go to the temple to worship God. And on the journey, they would ascend to the mountain of God because the temple was built on a hill, and so you had to go up to the temple. And so they would ascend to meet with God. They would go up to worship, and these were songs that they would sing to prepare their hearts to meet with God and to put them in the right mindset and spiritual attitude to meet with the God who loved them. The Song of Solomon is written by David's son who who contributed to the Psalter as he came into his own. Verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Again, many of the poems are the the Psalms are very poetic. They are, they are uh, uh, poetry and often put to music like many of our songs. And what they do is they provide imagery that allows us to understand the deeper realities of life in this world and our relationship with God. And I think if you look at the two primary sections of Psalm 127, what they point us to is what I've already shared is these core principles that in life to find meaning and value and hope in everything that we do and Everything that we experience, our focus should be on God and on others. 
As Christians, as we, we look to Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of our lives, and as we follow him as his disciples, we are reminded that he gave his life away to reveal to us the kind of love that God invites us to experience in our own lives. And it's that very same kind of self-giving, sacrificial love that, that we can give away in Jesus' name and opens the door for us to discover the deepest meaning and value and purpose for why God gave us life in this world. Our focus should be on God because if God isn't in it, Solomon says, it's done in vain. Now you can import whatever you want into the it. He gives us some pretty good life examples, but but the basic core idea is that if God isn't in it, it's done in vain. Without God, whatever we seek to accomplish in life will be useless. It will be meaningless. It will have no value because ultimately we were created and designed to live in partnership with God and to understand his purposes and his will. And as Cindy so adequately shared, when we are not living within God's purposes, what we don't understand is that we are often working against the current. We are working against the wind and life becomes more difficult and life becomes more frustrating and we understand, we don't understand why everything that we're trying to do to find happiness and wholeness and safety and security just isn't working for us. Without God, the Bible tells us whatever we seek to accomplish in this life will ultimately become meaningless and have no value. Think of the, the, the whole book of Ecclesiastes that Solomon wrote, right? He wrote a whole book about this. It, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Because without God, everything ends up being empty because we're missing the whole purpose for why God has given us this gift of life to begin with. And our focus should be on others because the second point that I think he makes, and we'll pick this up more at the end of the sermon, is that reproduction is the mark of maturity and blessing. Reproduction is the mark of maturity and blessing. Now, we know that in the Bible, the abundant life is a fruitful life. Right, And we, we know that the Bible was talking about these things in agricultural terms. A, a fruitful life was, was a life that was an abundant harvest. It produced a harvest beyond the original seeds that were planted. So, so reproduction of more seeds, of more, greater harvest was a sign of fruitfulness. And we see here in Psalm 127, where he talks about children and offspring being a reward, we know that biologically, uh, being able to multiply through children and pass on to the next generation the gifts and the blessings that we have is a part of a fruitful life biologically. But underlying all this, I want to suggest for us this morning is a spiritual principle that applies to all of us, whether farmers or parents or single people is that reproduction of life and love through the people that God invites us to invest and share our lives with is a sign that we are moving into maturity in God's blessing in our lives. The value that we produce in life is not found in what we leave behind, but in who we leave behind. Let me say that one more time. The value and purpose to life in this world is not determined by what we leave behind, but by who we leave behind. 
If God isn't in it, anything that we do is done in vain. And reproduction is the mark of maturity and blessing in the spiritual life. So let's look at the first one. If God isn't in it, it's done in vain. He starts in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late. If this isn't a verse for our culture, I don't know what is. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Now, uh, a better translation is it says, to eat the bread of sorrows. <laughs> in vain you get up early. In vain you stay up late, only to eat the bread of sorrows, only to eat the bread of frustration, because all of your toil, Solomon says, all of the work that you do has no ultimate meaning and value unless you uh, bring God into it. And so everything that you do in your own strength only leads to disappointment, frustration, and you just have to wake up the next morning and do it all over again, hoping for a different result. And so much of life that we experience in this world, I believe, is a, is a disappointment and a frustration because we go through life thinking that somehow we can achieve the results we're hoping for in our own wisdom and our own strength and we just completely leave God out of the picture. Sure, we'll come on Sunday morning and we'll say, you know, I raise a Hallelujah. God is working for me. But when we leave here and we go about our lives, how often do we invite God into the daily practices of our lives and into our marriages and into our relationships with our kids and into our careers? Or how much is he just kind of a, a tag-along add-on to our lives? You see, what, what the psalmist is saying is that if God isn't the central focus and understanding that he wants to be working in all of those areas of our lives, we're missing the whole point of why he brought us into relationship with himself to begin with. And no wonder we're going to be dissatisfied and feel frustration and feel like our life isn't quite measuring up to what we hope it would be. Because we're trying to do it in our own wisdom, in our own strength. But it says he grants sleep to those he loves. Right? There's always this contrast in the Bible between uh, uh, anxiety and fear and rest and sleep. And sleep is a symbol of, of peacefulness. You know, if you're anxious and you're afraid and you're worried, you can't sleep. I remember uh, when we lived in Chicago, uh, when my dad was working at uh, North Park Covenant Church there, I was in middle school and high school, and, and we had across the street to the, the south of us, there was a house that was a drug house. They had a meth lab in there. But we didn't know they had a meth lab in there, right? Uh, and so there was this uh, threat that they were going to be discovered. And so what they started doing is they started lighting fires on the houses around us to kind of distract attention from their house to think that there was like an arson in, in the neighborhood. So for three or four nights, can you imagine what our family was doing knowing that there was an arson lighting people's houses on fire? We were staying up in shifts all night watching out the windows because we're afraid that somebody's going to light our house on fire, right? When you're worried, when you're anxious, when you're afraid, when life is not safe, it's really hard to be peaceful and go to sleep. But in contrast, if you get to the end of your day and you feel like life is good and uh, you, you, you understand that God is in control and that no matter what's happening in your life, you can trust that God is going to take care of it. You can lay your head down on your pillow and even though life might not be perfect, man, you can rest 
knowing that you are safe and secure and you can enjoy a peaceful sleep. See, there's this contrast that the Bible brings us to understand what life should feel like when we're walking in God's purposes and plan and what it feels like when we're not walking in God's purposes and plan. And so we understand that that physically and emotionally and spiritually, our bodies will start telling us when we're not walking in God's purposes. Because fear and anxiety, the Bible says, have to do with punishment. That somehow God is against us, that, that we're in it on our own, and that somehow we're doing something wrong and we're going to get in trouble. And so when our bodies are tense and we're stressed out and we're anxious and we're not at peace and we're dissatisfied and we're frustrated, the Bible says, hey, maybe that's time to pay attention to the fact that maybe you've gotten off track and you're missing the most important piece, which is God in the mix. Trusting that God's plan is the best plan. And that if you invite God to do his work in you, you can find meaning and value in all the work that you give yourself to do. Whether it's building a house, or guarding a city, or working to put food on the table, or in the second half, raising a family. All of these, the psalmist says, are these core activities of life that we are all involved in, in one way or another that if we're not careful, can become meaningless, busy work apart from God's power and God's purposes. See, the Bible tells us that only God brings true meaning and purpose and value to life in this world. Apart from God or absent from God, whatever meaning or purpose or value we bring to any activity in life is going to fall short of what it could be or what it should be or what God had hoped it would be for us. And it will become more of a false good or a twisted good that inevitably leads us to experience frustration, anxiety, and disappointment. It never truly satisfies. In contrast to life being meaningless and in vain in God, we discover the true purpose of our lives. Life is intended to have a purpose. God created you on purpose and with a purpose. In the, in the Greek, they have a word called telos that we translate end, right? The end goal or, or the final outcome. There's a, there's a trajectory that life has that God has intended, that God has purposed for you and me. The, the end goal is bound up in the potential that we each have, like the acorn has a, has a telos to become a tree, right? The, the purpose of the acorn isn't to be just a seed or a nut, but to, to grow, to become a vast tree, to produce more acorns. And so our purpose, our telos, the reason why God has given us all the potential that we have in us was to be in line with what his plan and his purposes are for humanity and for each of us to find our value and meaning in contributing to God's plan. We were created by God on purpose, with a purpose. And the true joy and meaning and value in life in this world is discovered when we discover what that purpose really is and begin to live it out in every situation that we have in life. But without God, that purpose of life loses its frame of reference and it all becomes meaningless. 
That's why we so desperately need God in our lives and to have to rely on God and his truth in our lives, not just for Sunday morning religious activities, but for the very meaning and purpose of the core life activities that we give ourselves to every day. The time and energy that we invest in for achieving the results of all of the toil that we go through in life in this world are intended by God to bring meaning and value to our lives. But if we separate God from those very activities, they become empty and meaningless. Now, uh, uh, excuse me, Greg, Jeff, we've got lots of people up here. Uh, Jeff mentioned we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Ephesians next Sunday. And the first part of that series, we're going to be diving deep into this idea that, that life has purpose and that God's purpose for us can be discovered and lived out and living life purpose is one of the core ideas of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So I'd encourage you to jump in with us next Sunday as we look into the book of Ephesians. We're actually going to be going chapter by chapter through the whole book. So it's going to be much more of a book study that we're getting into this fall. But for today, there's two things I want to suggest that Solomon doesn't say about work. Number one, he does not say that we should not put in the effort and the work ourselves, right? He's not saying, uh, well, God's going to do it, so you can just go about and do whatever you want. You can just, you know, be lazy, live it up, party it up. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that we don't have to put in the time and the effort ourselves, but that the trust that many people put in their own effort and time is what distracts them from the priority focus that they should be relying on God's work in their life and not the work that they can produce themselves. Long hours do not mean fruitful work. Without reliance on God, there's no lasting joy or satisfaction from all the time and effort that we put in. Even if we keep getting up early every morning and staying up every late and doing everything we can in our own strength to somehow try and make it good enough, hoping for a different result. The second thing he doesn't say, he says, he does not say is, unless the Lord consents and is willing to allow you to build the house or to guard the city, Right? That's not what it says. It says, unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord watches over the city. God doesn't want to just uh, throw a, 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 a green light from heaven and say, yep, you're good to go. Have fun. <laughs> Let me know how that works out for you. He wants to be directly involved in the building process. He wants to be directly involved in the work that we're doing. He wants us to invite him into what we're doing and a daily kind of shared experience. And what we discover, if you remember the, the little uh, seminal book that was written by Brother Lawrence on practicing the presence of God, is Brother Lawrence discovered that, that God wants to be involved in washing dishes. God wants to be involved in taking out trash. God wants to be involved in, in, in mopping up after your kids. God wants to be involved in creating new widgets. All of those things in and of themselves don't have a whole lot of meaning or value, but when you bring God into it, it can become the core vocation and calling of your life. Because you're not doing it just for a paycheck anymore. You're not just doing it for yourself anymore. You're doing it for God. And God's purposes and plans start to work themselves out through every activity of life. And life takes on joy and meaning and value in ways that we never could have imagined. 
I shared this story with you guys before, but when I was working for American America West Airlines in Phoenix, uh, I was a ramp agent, and there's all different kinds of duties that you can get assigned to. And, you know, one of the times I got assigned to be the trash taker outer. And so the plane pulls up to the gate, and, you know, everybody uh, deplanes, and then the crews come in, and you have this uh, lift truck that comes up, and they open the doors, and they start the stewards and stewardesses are bringing out all the trash bins, right? And you tie these bags off, and you pull them out, and they are like the rankest stinkiest, juiciest trash bags you've ever seen. And they've been cooking in these hot bins and you throw them in the cart and then you have to, you know, take those little tugs and take them over to the bin and then you have to throw them all into the bin. And as you're throwing these trash bags, that sweet, sticky, smelly stuff just splashes all over you. It's a fun job. And I remember distinctly one night working a late night shift out on the, the airport in Arizona by myself at this bin, throwing these trash bags and hating life. I don't want to be doing this. I, this is awful. And I felt like God through the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, 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 if you don't do it, somebody else is going to have to do it. But why not you? And I went, ooh. Okay, so if I start to change my mindset and say, hey, this is a service that I can provide because if I don't do it, somebody's going to do it. And I'm doing it on behalf of my fellow employees. I'm doing it on behalf of the customers of America West Air. I'm doing it on behalf of God. I can, I can throw these bags for God. Okay, God, yeah, I'll get stinky for you. I, I can take a shower after this is all over, but, but I can do this and find meaning in the stinkiest, worst job I've ever had to do in my life because God was in it. You see how so God changes everything. When God is in it and we invite God into our lives, God becomes the priority difference maker in bringing meaning and purpose to whatever we give our time, talent, and treasure to doing. See, all the power to bring meaning and purpose to our labor and to our achievements in life is dependent on the presence and the power of God working in us and working with us so that all of our human strength and intention and effort is not left empty and meaningless but takes on eternal value. Now, in both situations, we need to work hard and consistent effort is required. It's just that one side is full of meaning and the other side is completely empty. So which would you choose? We've got to do the work anyway. Why not find meaning and satisfaction in the work, right? It seems obvious, but yet how often do we ignore the truths that God has shared us in his word, go about our daily lives thinking that we've got this all figured out, only to find ourselves frustrated, anxious, fearful, disappointed, and stressed out. All the while, God keeps saying, it doesn't have to be that way. The risk and the challenge the psalmist is reminding us is to not believe that we can do it without God. If you remember back to the beginning of our series this summer, Jeff took us through Psalm 1, right? The very beginning of the psalm, which is kind of an intro to the whole book. And, and in Psalm 1, David tells us, right? 
the, the prosperous tree, the fruitful tree, the one that produces a harvest, that multiplies, that experiences the purpose for why it was created is the one who has roots that are sunk deep down into living water. The presence of God is, is invigorating and enlivening the life of the tree. But the wicked, the ones who turn their back on God, the ones who reject God and say, oh, no, thanks, God, I, I can do it on my own, are like chaff, right? They're dried up chaff that the wind drives away when you throw the grain up in the air. And it's that, that dry, flaky stuff that just floats off in the wind because there's no there there. They're empty. It's meaningless. There's no value or depth or weight to that kind of a life. Long hours and tireless efforts are sometimes necessary, but in and of themselves, they don't make work fruitful. In fact, if we're not careful, we can spend our entire lives in pursuit of the things that we think will bring us meaning and value in life, only discover in the end that all our efforts were in vain. They were wasted. They were empty. You see, in contrast, God's blessing is to give his loved ones sleep. To allow us to come to the end of the day and call it a day and say, I did the best I could. The rest is in God's hands. And now I'm going to give it to him and I'm going to rest and, and, and sleep and enjoy the peace that can only come from knowing that it's really not about me. It's really all about him. With God, we find genuine peace and rest in our lives, even in the midst of our hectic, busy, crazy world. Scholars suggest that this psalm is a parallel to the promise in Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Can I suggest for us this morning that in many ways, if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, we've kind of introduced it here, that we live in an Ecclesiastes culture. We live in a world that is chasing after wind. We are spending our time pursuing all these things that somehow we think are going to make us happy, that are going to make us rich, that are going to make us famous, that are going to make us popular. And somehow at the end of that road, there's a, a pot of gold and a rainbow and, 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 and it's leaving us desperately disappointed because there's no there there. And how often do we as Christians get sucked into the, the priorities of our culture and somehow think that if we follow the goals of our culture and we follow the patterns of the society around us, that somehow if we just put a Christian spin on it, that somehow we're going to get a different result. How much of our time and energy as Christians and as, a, as faith coming to church do we, do we intend to do the work of God without inviting God into the process? How often do we show up to church on Sunday morning or, or online coming to worship to get something out of it? Because it's somehow Christian entertainment that we come to get good music or we come to get good preaching or we come to get good whatever it is that we're looking for that we come to get. Can you understand that we've missed the whole purpose of worship if it's something we come to get? Worship is something we come to give. And of course, if you come to get worship, you're going to leave here disappointed because it's not about you. 
Of course, worship is going to be dry. Of course, you're not going to feel like God showed up. Of course, you're going to wonder if this is the right church for you or if any church is the right church for you because nothing quite measures up because it's not about you. It's about what you come to give to God. And when you give your heart to God and you give your life to God and you give your worship to God, not just on Sunday morning, but every day and in every way, you know what happens? All of life becomes meaningful. All of life becomes valuable. The worst song ever sung in worship becomes the song that touches your heart. Sorry, Greg. The worst sermon ever preached. I, I've told this story before too, right? There, I invariably, there is a Sunday where, where I just feel like it didn't go well. This was the worst sermon I've ever preached in my life. I get down off the platform and I go, I am sorry, God. I really dropped the ball and blew it on that one. I can tell you, to a Sunday, on those Sundays when I feel like that, somebody comes up to me and says, thank you. That was exactly what I needed to hear. I go, well, praise God, because it wasn't me, (laughs) right? But isn't that the Christian life? Isn't that what spiritual gifts are all about? Praise God, it wasn't me. It was God working in me, using the, the small loaves and fish that I could bring to multiply them for his use and for his glory. And so the meager things that we can do, our time, talent, and treasures, when we give them to God and we invite him into the work, he comes and he puts his super on our natural. And we see God multiplying his kingdom through our lives. And you know what? That brings joy because God's using me. But it's not about me. It's not about how good I am. It's about how good God is. And we discover meaning and value and purpose because we see where God is working in our lives. Where are the empty places in your life this morning? Where are those places where you've been spending time, talent, treasure, energy, only to find that it feels like busy work with no meaning or value and there's no return on your investment? Is it possible that you've been spending all of this time and energy and you forgot to include God first? What have you been giving your time and energy to that has you feeling anxious or worried or frustrated or disappointed? And disappointed? And is it possible that you could give that over to God and let him try working with it for a change? If God isn't in it, whatever you do is going to be done in vain. Our focus should be on God first and then also on others. Reproduction is the mark of blessing and maturity. Focusing on others isn't just about a general sense of being a kind and loving person. It's not just paying for the the McDonald's hamburger for the car behind you in the road. Being a reproducing, loving person is about investing time and energy into someone else's life in the same way it takes commitment to be a wise and loving parent to raise children to maturity. God invites us to see that the purpose of our lives is to invest in somebody else. Now we can do that in our own homes and with our own kids, but it's not about just biological children. God invites us to see that other people in our lives can be the people that God calls us to invest our lives in. 
And maybe that's just one other person for you, or maybe it's two other persons for you, people, persons, things, not things, people, right? On staff, we're asking, hey, what if we followed the Jesus model? And we said, who are my three and who are my 12? Right? Jesus had three guys that he invited into his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. These were the three people that got the most of his time and attention, and he invested most heavily in them. But then he had the, the, the 12, the 12 disciples that became the apostles, and he invested heavily in them, and they shared life together, and they went everywhere together, and they partied together, and they did work together, they fished together, and they ate together, and they did life together. And then there was 70 and 100, I mean, there were crowds, right, that followed Jesus. But, but Jesus had a small group of people that were his people. And God called him to invest his time, talent, and treasure in developing those people as spiritual children, like a spiritual parent, to bring them to maturity and to birth them into new life. So that when he rose from the dead and went to heaven, he left his church in their, in their charge. And you and I are here today because of the spiritual parenting that has been passed on from those first 12 men who parented other people and women down through the centuries. If they did not understand that their priority was to focus on God first and to give their lives away on behalf of someone else, we wouldn't be here today. And yet, when you have a focus of who God is calling you to serve, of where he's calling you to invest, of how he wants to use you to be a blessing to someone else, do you understand the meaning and the joy and that value that that brings? Now, it's not about being an expert. I mean, how many of you were an expert parent when you had your first kid? Right? We didn't have to go to college to become a parent, although we probably should, right? I mean, that's one of the jokes. You got to go to, you know, get, get a master's degree to do some things that, that you give, they give you a kid for nothing. Here you go. Good luck with that. You don't have to be an expert to be a spiritual parent to someone else. It just means you have to love deeply enough to invest your time and energy to care for their well-being. And I think one of the challenges that we have in the American church and maybe the church around the world, but I know especially in our cultures, we're so individualistic that our experience of Christianity, it's all about me. And I'm always like, well, who's going to give to me? Who's going to invest in me? Maybe God wants you to turn around and find somebody else to invest in. That his invitation is for you to find meaning and value in your walk with Jesus by giving away whatever you have, your five loaves and two fish, and allow Jesus to multiply it in the way that he wants to. Who are your three? Who are your 12? Verse 3 says, children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring are a reward from God. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Now this is really in the gate. And in ancient cities that they were watching over to protect, the gate was the place where business was conducted. It was the place where legal matters and disputes were solved. And it was also the place if your enemy was coming against you and you wanted to sue for terms of peace before the battle broke out, you would meet at the gate. And if you show up at the gate to face your enemy and you got 12 strapping guys that are all your boys, they're going to think twice about attacking your city, right? 
Who do you have to stand with you? Who do you have that's got your back? Who have you invested in and developed that that is going to be your network of people to stand in the gate with you when life gets hard, when enemies attack, when legal matters get tricky and there's conflict that arises? Who's going to support you? Who's going to care for you? See, children to parents are, are the same kind of thing that we can have spiritually. And that's what being church is really all about. Offspring are the true power that we have to be effective in making a difference in the world. Reproducing our life in someone else is the arrow in our quiver in fighting the spiritual battle that God has given us to fight. Now, we know this is true for us biologically, and so it becomes really important for us to, to learn how to be good parents and, and to learn how to manage our, our relationships well and that we have a healthy marriage that we're modeling for our kids because we know that, that generationally we can pass on the dysfunction and the brokenness of our families. And so we have to work on our human and our biological relationships, absolutely. But in all of this is a deeper spiritual principle that is available to everyone. Children, parents, single folks, seniors, right? If you're not dead, (laughs) you're not done. Who might God be inviting you to identify as someone to pass on the gifts of your life to for the next generation? Is your focus on God and on others? And are you missing the very deep meaning and value that God has for the season of life that you're in? Because you're missing these core principles that the Bible so clearly teaches us. I love what one author said. Children, like arrows, must be carefully shaped and formed. They must be guided with skill and strength. They must be given care or they will not fly straight. They must be aimed and given direction. They are an extension of the warrior's strength and accomplishment But most importantly, they are released to fly to the target. See, it's not about controlling someone or making sure they fit our mold. It's about developing and caring for other people to give them the freedom to be released into life. And to see the joy that comes from our contribution and making a difference in someone else's life. The wisdom, safety, and protection we need from life comes from the company of people that we keep in whom we invest in and develop and who in turn invest in and develop us. See, Psalm 127 tells us that the value we produce in life is not found in what we leave behind, but in who we leave behind. Now, we're short on time for today. I want to wrap up as quickly as I can here. Uh, In in final summary, uh, you could say, uh, and I hope this doesn't sound like an overstatement, but without God, we're nothing. Without God, we're nothing. Life is ultimately meaningless and empty and has no value if it doesn't achieve the purpose for why God created us to begin with was to share life with us. Unfortunately, I think too many of us experience hell on earth 
because we've missed this core principle. If you think about what hell is, I remember having many conversations. What is hell? Is hell real? And do people really go to hell? And does God send people to hell? What is hell? I mean, it's like one of those big theological debates. And I remember as a young man, you know, we talked about that a lot. And after a while, you started going, well, I'm not going to talk about it. Who knows, right? Who can know what hell is? But the one argument that stuck with me the most, and it comes from a famous Christian author called C.S. Lewis. If, if hell, if God is uh, the giver of everything good, right? Imagine everything that, that is good in life and it's good in the world and you believe that that comes from God. Take God out of the picture and remove everything good and what are you left with? Hell, right? If there's nothing good and it's all bad, that's hell. Hell is simply the absence of God. And so one way to understand hell in the Bible is that God doesn't choose to send anybody to hell. People choose to live life apart from God. It's we who reject God and say, hey, thanks for your gift of grace, God. Thanks for the gift of eternal life, God. But no thanks, I'm going to figure it out on my own. And God goes, well, okay, well, I'm not going to force it on you. Uh, You can choose. But too often, because we are living our lives in this world apart from God or absence of God, what we do is we get a taste of what hell is like. And life on earth can become hell on earth when we're living life apart from God. And if you look at your news and you see what's happening in our world and you understand where our world is going apart from God, you can see the hellish nature of what life gets like when we live apart from God. In one of his books called The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis kind of uh, created this fanciful, imaginary story about what it would be like, you know, to to go to hell. (laughs) And he said, hell is this dark place with nothing there where day after day you do the same thing over and over again. And you live farther and farther away from your neighbors because you want to be isolated and you don't want to have to deal with anybody And every once in a while, you get to take the bus and you can ride over to heaven to check it out and see what it's like. But people keep rejecting that and going back to hell because they want to stay in control. They want to maintain their autonomy. They want their life to be what they want it to be. And God says, fine, but it's not my will. And there's another way. And the invitation is always, always open. How much of your life today feels like hell on earth? How many experiences have you had when things didn't work out the way you had hoped? When relationships got conflicted? When when church turned out to be more of a betrayal than a support? when, When marriage let you down? When work or bosses didn't support you and, and you, you felt like you, you had certain expectations and they didn't go the way you had hoped. How many times does life in this world feel like hell on earth? And is it possible that it feels that way because we've forgotten the one thing that we need to bring meaning and value to all of life experiences? As Christians in our society, how much of our focus on changing the world or impacting our society or advancing the kingdom of God is focused on actually reproducing mature Christians who will pass it on to somebody else? Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Men and women, it is God's earnest desire that the fruit of our lives be the fruit of his spirit in us. And the only way that we can experience the joy and the meaning and the purpose of that kind of life is when we submit ourselves to the lordship of Christ and recognize that it is through him that the power of God and his spirit comes into every relationship in every situation and allows us to experience his power working in and through us. Is it possible, men and women, as we close this morning, that that Jesus is calling to you. That Jesus is calling to me. That the call of Christ to follow him as his true disciples is coming in a fresh new way. And in this season of COVID-19 and as we launch into a new season as a church, that God is calling us to humbly submit to putting him first and to making other people the priority above ourselves. And if we can do that, What might God do in your life? What might God do in your marriage? What might God do in your workplace as he begins to work his will and his plan and his purpose in your life? Now, I recognize, too, that there are some who are worshiping with us this morning, maybe here online, who have never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You've never said yes to the life-saving power of God at work in your life. And maybe Jesus is calling to you today, follow me and I will make you a fisher of people as well. And in a minute, I want to invite all of us to respond to whatever God's invitation is today, whether it's to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's to say yes to Jesus in a new and a fresh way for the first time in a long time. Or maybe it's a a sense that God is calling you to invest your life in some specific people in some new ways. We're going to have an opportunity then, but I want to invite the worship team to join me. And I want to spend a few moments reflecting in worship on what the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. And then I'll come back and I will invite us all to pray together in response to saying yes to Jesus in whatever way the Holy Spirit is leading you today.
invite you all to pray with me now. Holy God, we do thank you that you are not only a God who speaks, but you are a God who works. You've been working in this place and you've been working in our hearts and we come before you now to say yes to Jesus. For those of us who have never accepted Jesus before and, and you want to pray this prayer, you can join me in saying, Holy God, I do need you. I recognize that life is meaningless and empty apart from you. And I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. I accept him now as my Lord and my Savior, and I ask for the forgiveness of all my sins and the mistakes that I've made, knowing that you don't hold them against me, and you can wash me clean and set me on a new path today. God, would you be the Lord of my life? Would you help me to find meaning and value in every relationship, in every work, in everything that I do? Help me to understand that you have designed me for relationship with you and discover not only your mercy and grace, but your deep love for me. I need you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I say yes to Jesus today. And God, for each one of us who are already Christians, and maybe we've been Christians for a long time, and the work that you're doing in us today is reminding us that we need to get back on track with you. We need to invite you into all those places of our lives and to find meaning and purpose in the lives that you've called us to serve as we focus our lives on others. God, we thank you for your grace to us. We ask for your forgiveness in the ways that we have lived life apart from you. We invite you in again in fresh and new ways to be the Lord of our lives and to give us a mission to love others around us. God, give us names and faces, specific people that you would call us to serve. And give us the courage, God, to respond, to invest our time, our talent, and our treasure to actually become spiritual parents to someone else, to care for their well-being to invest our lives in them and in the process discover the greatest meaning and value that we could have to be used by you to be a blessing to someone else. God, as you do your work in us at Faith Covenant Church, it is my prayer that you would allow us to be a place that multiplies new life through the name of Jesus that people would discover their deepest meaning and purpose for living on this planet as a part of this community and that you would mobilize each one of us together to be the people in the gate, to stand in the gap for one another and to share the good news message that there is another way, there is hope, there is rest, and there is meaning in Jesus' name. God, give us a new heart and a mission to be light in the darkness and to share your love. God, you are the way maker. Make that way as we celebrate the gift of your life. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. God, yes, yes, yes for us today, now. It's in Jesus' name we pray.